Hi, everybody. It is really good to uh, be with you today to look at the Bible together. We are in the series that Matt Carvel uh, kicked off for us last week, Relational Wisdom. But before we get into that, um, just a bit of news for you as a church. We occasionally have the, the uh, occasion, the, the, the moment of uh, bringing into eldership a new elder. And uh, uh, I wanted to share with you today that this term, our plan is to uh, appoint Simon Brading as one of the elders. His family are all here, and um, no, there are other people here. Um, some of you will be wondering uh, whether Simon Brading um, is already an elder. Why, why are we doing this? Uh, he hasn't actually been appointed as an elder, even though you could say he's functioned as one for quite a long time. And uh, that in itself is, is perhaps an interesting point, that when we recognise somebody as an elder, often it's... It's, it's in reality something that's been obvious to the church for a while. It just hasn't been affirmed with the, the laying on of hands. And so uh, we want to do that properly. We'll, we'll have to do it uh, with COVID uh, restrictions online. And so we'll, we'll find some way to beam it out to you guys. We'll still actually lay hands on Simon uh, as a, a team. We'll, we'll pray together for him and for Anna, his, his wife, together. So we're looking forward to doing that. We'll have more news for you about the plan, about the date. Um, and we will also uh, try and inform you a bit more as to what we mean. Even the concept of an elder. Some of you are watching this thinking, what are you What is an elder? Is, how can he be an elder? What, is, what does that mean? Uh, some of you will be very confused about how an elder could possibly exist with such a feeble beard. Um, and uh, I... I, I understand that objection and we will have to uh, explain how we've allowed for this uh, this anomaly but uh, yeah there's lots to explain lots to teach into it um, but we just wanted you all to know so we thought we'd announce it here on a Sunday we are looking at uh, the subject today of authenticity and truthfulness uh, all of this has to do with relationships and the wisdom that we need to do relationships. Honestly, I've struggled this week thinking, can we preach about relationships during lockdown? And uh, when the lockdown got properly kind of intensified on Monday night, it, it made it an even sharper question for me. What, what are we doing teaching people how to, to do life together when we're not together? Uh, and as Matt pointed out last week, obviously we can still teach into stuff that will be more and more useful and relevant as the months proceed and as we come out of lockdown, assuming we do one day. And, uh, and also I would say this, this series is in fact directly relevant to you now anyway. Most of us are doing relationships in some way at the moment not just online, but most of us are probably living with people or living alongside people in some way. And I think we have a tendency to imagine that those are the kind of, kind of marginal parts of our lives that don't really count. To really follow Jesus, to really be spiritual, 
we need to go outside of our domestic situation. If I'm going to really love people, I need to presumably get in a plane and go to a poor country where I can love people, or I need to find some, some disadvantaged people so I can love them. If I'm going to, to really be a follower of Jesus, I need to get out of my house and go outwards. And those people that I live with are completely irrelevant to the project. And when we think that way, we are absolutely wrong. Because the reality is that so much of the real spiritual demands that Jesus calls us, to, calls us into, so, so much of that life, so much of that challenge is directly worked out, in fact, in the domestic environment, in the household. For many of us, in the family, in the marriage, with the children, with the teenage children, with the parents, perhaps with the grandparents. It's, it's that very environment that sometimes demands the most from us in terms of forbearance and kindness, forgiveness, generosity of heart. Those qualities are properly tested. And some of you, in fact, all of you, let's be honest, know exactly what I mean because you're living with it 24-7 at the moment. And you know God is in that. Do not think that God is saying, I'm so sorry about this difficult season. When lockdown's over, you and I can get back to you being spiritual again. When lockdown's over, you can carry on being a Christian as you were. No, God is doing this in your life. God is doing this season in your life, in your marriage, in your family. God, God, the God and Father of Jesus Christ is doing this season. This time, these weeks, these days. Why? Because he loves you. Because he's committed to you. Because he wants to train you. Everyone wants to change the world, but no one wants to do the dishes. But you're going to find out, if you haven't already, that doing the dishes has just as much to do with you following Jesus as you changing the world in six months' time, or whatever it is. Right now, the dishes are the spiritual piece. Right now, following Jesus is about that stuff, that grit, that, that grime, that, that reality of life. And so when we talk about relationships and we talk about the challenge and the wisdom that we need, let's apply it now. Let's apply it in the season we're in. We're going to do that by looking at the book of Proverbs today. So perhaps uh, we could uh, have the film showing the, ch the chunk of Proverbs chapter 27 right now. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. One who is full loads honey, but to one who is hungry everything bitter is sweet. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. Oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. I was uh, watching a film with my oldest daughter just a few days ago, and it was a film I'd seen before. Um, she hadn't seen it, and early on in the film, there was a fairly graphic murder scene, which uh, I'd forgotten. Um, and I tried to kind of, you know, <laughs> protect my daughter. I, I felt like, oh gosh, should I watch this film with her? And uh, I, the way I did it was I said, that bad guy's going to get it at the end. 
Uh, that was my way of comforting her. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't really bring the murdered people back, does it? Having said that, it is kind of comforting. It's, it's, actually, it's actually what we need at times like that sometimes, a sense of justice, a sense of equilibrium, a sense that, yeah, there's going to be a righting of wrongs. This film is going to end with the scales being kind of level. And uh, I think that's because we're wired that way. We, we want that, don't we? When we read a book, when we watch a story or whatever. When we, in the stories that we do, we, we are appreciative when justice seems to be done, when there's a final reckoning. Why is that? It doesn't seem like that's the way the world works, right? <laughs> the way history works, you wouldn't think that uh, there's any reason for that. We don't see a righting of wrongs very often. Usually the complaint is that, it, that the, the bad guys get away with stuff and good people suffer. That's, that's, that's how we see the real world. Monstrous, horrible injustices, things that are unfair, untrue. But deep down, we have this gut sense that there should be justice. Now, I suppose we need to fall into two camps over this. Some people would say, yeah, that's, that's just an accident that we think that way. It's, it's not because of anything true about the universe, because the universe is an accident. And uh, in, the, in the words of probably the, the most famous atheist in, in our generation, Richard Dawkins, who wrote this, I guess, about 15 years ago, he said, the universe is just as, it, as, as you would expect it to be without a God. It's a, it's a world of blind, pitiless indifference. As he said, that's what he says. When I look at nature, that's what I see. Blind, pitiless indifference. And so some people would say, yeah, that's it. That is all there is. It's just a complete, uh, you know, it's just a kind of random freak show. There's, there's no design or purpose to it. Now, most people don't go that way. For whatever reason, most people still think there's still this lingering sense in us that there must be some kind of meaning. There must be some kind of meaning to the things that happen. So we, we kind of hope and look forward to things coming right and that there's something spiritual, there's some kind of spiritual truth underneath everything that helps us to get through the, the dark, confusing times. But what I've noticed for us Brightonians, for example, is, is that our spirituality that we fill the gap with nearly always has us playing the part of the good guys. That we, we accept that there's a spiritual meaning to the world and what we need to do is kind of, yeah, we need to kind of get aligned with it. We need to get spiritual, but really that will just involve us getting a bit of encouragement and maybe changing one or two things but but mostly you know mostly it's about us kind of becoming more true to ourselves becoming more aware of how good and great we are deep down and kind of learning to move with the rhythms of the universe and it's it's okay we're not we're not going to have to be challenged that much but i realize when i think that way that it goes against what I've also learned more and more, and time and time again. And that is that when I actually do change and make progress in my life, when I, when I actually have seen genuine progress, which is pretty rare for me, but when I've, when I've seen it on those occasions, it's usually involved some pretty raw moments of truth. 
it involves some pain, it involves some deconstructing, some unlearning. It hasn't simply been me being ego-stroked. It hasn't, it hasn't been characterised by just sheer comfort. Yeah, it's not wrong to comfort one another and to give each other little strokes. That's, that's, that's going to be necessary, for sure. But what I've realised is that I don't, I don't sort of ease and drift my way into progress. A lot of the real progress that I make as a person, it, it, it comes in the form of some painful things, some humbling, some unwinding, restarting, going back to square one. And, and those painful seasons are often the ones where most is really happening. And that's surely true in your life. I mean, it's like that with any skill. It's like that with any real growing in an, in an ability, something that you've learned to do well at, maybe a musical instrument or learning a language. You go through times where you think, am I ever going to get this? Am I ever going to get anywhere with this? And you discover as you push through, you discover as you allow the training, the mentoring, the, the, the master to, to instruct you, to teach you, as you humble yourself under that, you grow. Now, why would it be different with the spiritual side of life? Why would we assume that we're going to end up becoming more and more in tune with the spiritual side of life as we just kind of drift comfortably along? It's, it's surely a delusion. It's like, it's like assuming that you can just, you know, you can slim by eating more ice cream. Why would the world work that way on, 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 on spiritual things when it clearly doesn't? on natural things. And I would suggest that we need to face that reality, especially if we take the Bible seriously. The Bible talks in terms of the world actually having been deceived. The world is actually struggling not with sort of 90% getting it right and needing a 10% gap to be filled, the world is in much more of a serious plight than that. The way that the, the letter to the Romans puts it in the New Testament, when, when Paul writes to them, he, he says this, because they, it's talking about the human race, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Exchanged the truth for a lie. There's been a, a deception that's gone on at the heart of human existence that's got into all of our thinking, that's got into all, every nook and cranny of our life, even our relationships. We've allowed ourselves to be deceived. That's the way the Bible speaks, that's the way that Jesus spoke again and again. And so us growing up, us becoming wiser is going to be an exercise in undeception, in being disabused of lies in having to catch up with some truths that are sometimes wonderfully comforting, but also sometimes unwelcome and unpleasant. We mustn't assume it will all be an easy ride. It will feel wounding from time to time. Which is why these proverbs are so important. I'm so grateful for this book in the middle of my Bible that, that talks these clear ways about such things. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. The wounds of a friend. Who is the greatest friend there's ever been? 
Jesus is the friend of sinners. Did Jesus become friends with sinners by hiding the truth from them? And Jesus was very straight with them. Jesus spoke sometimes in ways that would surprise us when we read the Gospels. Jesus' friendship was expressed often by sheer honesty, by tremendous, authentic truthfulness. Because he's a friend. And so he'll wound us out of love. This is actually, surely, the way that God's actually wired human existence. If you, again, just step back from the Bible and just look at life generally. How, how has God seemed to design it? We spend the first few years of our life being taught by the people who are closest to us and ought to show the most tenderness and affection towards us. The, the people who teach us the most in the first few years are our parents. The people who will naturally feel the most compassion and affection. It's interesting that the Proverbs even talk that way. Often the Proverbs talk in terms of caring for a son, caring for a child. It's, it's all very nurturing. When I was, a, when I was a, a child, says the writer of Proverbs, tender in the sight of my mother. That there's something maternal about wisdom being shared. There's, a, there's something very deeply affectionate and compassionate about sharing wisdom. When it's done right, the same person that literally housed you, accommodated you in her womb for months, looked after you and then fed you, weaned you, prepares you for life. That same person shares wisdom, teaches you, don't do that, do this. That's not right. No, that's not right. Don't do this. This is right. Walk this way. All done from a heart of tremendous love and compassion. The first opportunity we get to learn truth is from someone who's full of tenderness towards us. This is a suggestion about the way God wants things. He doesn't want the truth to be just felt coldly. He wants us to receive truth trustingly, confidently, comfortably. And it's sad when that doesn't happen well, when families don't do their job, when friends don't do their job. I always used to find it genuinely sickening. I think the first time I ever watched one of the Britain's Got Talent or one of the X Factor shows where one of the judges tore into somebody publicly, I genuinely didn't feel right for about a day because there's something evil about millions of people watching television and seeing somebody shamed who's never really been told by family or friends the truth that they should have heard from those they could trust, those who loved them, those who were able to comfortably tell them things. It shouldn't be left to the public world to mockingly attack somebody. God hasn't made it that way. But that is what will happen. And the fact is that if we resist God's way, if we resist the relationships of loving, trusting affection and compassion, when they try to tell us the truth, we are handing ourselves over to far less compassionate voices. We're choosing, we're opting out and saying, I won't receive the truth from you. I won't receive the truth from those who love me and care for me. What you're doing is you're, you're saying to yourself, I will have to receive the truth later from a judge, from a, a policeman, from a, a social worker. I'll, re I'll receive the truth later from, from, from a boss, from an employer. I'll receive the truth later from someone that doesn't really understand or care for me. 
And, and God's wired it so that we have the opportunity, hopefully most of us should have had the opportunity, to do this in context of real relationship. God wants it that way because that's what he's like. That's, that's my theory right now based on what I observe in creation. How can we test it? Well, I guess the best way is to look at what God was like when he came amongst us. See, Jesus is very much uh, the revelation. What a, what a stupid way to put it. Jesus is very much the revelation of God. Jesus is the revelation of God. Jesus is, is God in the flesh. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what God's like? Full of truth. Jesus is the one who would even preface his statements in John's Gospel again and again repeatedly, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. Count the number of times he says it in John's Gospel. Some of the older translations of the Bible say, Amen and Amen, or verily, verily. Truly I say unto you. Same thing. He's saying, I tell you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. He just kept saying it because he knows, he knows that the world's been deceived. We've been lied to. We, we come into a lying world. We grow up under a lie. And one comes from heaven and says, I've come to disabuse you. I've come to undeceive you. I'm telling you the truth. And it's not always a comfortable thing, as we said earlier. When, when John sees him in the, gospel, in, the, in the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible, he sees him with a sword coming out of his mouth. That's a hint. Jesus, Jesus you could, one of his nicknames could be sword mouth. He's, he's a, a clear speaking person. He's got authority to speak truth. So is that comforting to us? Well, yes, because it's not just that he's come full of truth. The same gospel writer starts his gospel off saying, he's come from heaven filled with grace and truth. Grace and truth. You look at the way Jesus is with people. You read the, the, the stories about him, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. You just look at the way he is so tender with broken people. He could speak fiercely to the proud, to the contented, to those who, who, who felt strongly their sense of entitlement. Jesus could be shockingly confrontational. But with those who are broken, those filled with shame, those aware of their need. Jesus' tenderness is stunning. His compassion, his love for people, his eagerness to bring people into the light, but help them with it, because that's the God he is. God, God is the God who will not have deception, the God who won't allow, ultimately, for lies to have sway. But he's insisting on showing compassion at the same time. We see that surely in the cross itself. This is God dealing with deception. God showing that he is a God of grace and truth. That wrongdoing, sin, injustice, wickedness can't be swept under the rug. It must be confronted. It must be dealt with. It must be faced. There must be honesty and authenticity. But God says, I will face it myself. And in his son Jesus, he takes all of it upon himself. 
and is therefore able to deal comfortingly, sympathetically with people like us for whom coming into the truth is a rude awakening. You know, the Bible often uh, identifies truth with light and lies with darkness. But we know, don't we, that though we might crave the light if we're in a dark place, it's at least at first not always pleasant. When the lights suddenly come on, our eyes take ages to adjust. And, and getting to know God is it really a process over years of our eyes having to adjust, right? Why should we expect any different? He is the one who dwells in unapproachable light, the Bible says. Would you expect that it would be a completely comfortable experience? No, friends, my life of learning, trying, yearning to follow Jesus has been characterised by times, seasons, where I've recoiled because of the discomfort of the light sometimes. And people around me have had to say things to me that I did not want to hear. I, 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 I did not want to hear it. But those are the times when I have the opportunity to make the most progress. Those are the times when God is graciously providing me with brothers and sisters. People who are, to me, the means by which this, this one who is filled with grace and truth brings me further into the light, undeceives me about who I really am and about the real problems I've got and about who he really is. And it's interesting that when you get into the, the rest of the Bible, where, where the, the, the letters, the epistles start to describe how we are to do the Christian life together, they talk in terms very much grace and truth, grace and truth. It, Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, speaking the truth to one another in love. Speaking the truth to one another in love. That clear insistence on that combination is right at the heart of the way that we're called to follow Jesus. Yes, yeah, speaking the truth in love. You, you need those kinds of relationships, don't you? You know that you do. Many of us, as we go through life, we long for those kinds of real relationships. We, we agree with, with Solomon in Proverbs where he, he talks about real sweetness and real uh, sickliness and the difference between the two. He says, the one who is full loathes honey, but to one who is hungry, everything bitter is sweet. The sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. You know when people have only ever <laughs> flattered you, when you only ever get people patting you on the back, which as a, as a pastor of a church, sometimes that's my experience actually, occasionally. I'm just so used to lots of people saying, thanks, well done. And, and you could have that same experience. And so we end up not realising that we're getting used to the taste of honey. And finally we realise, we wake up, this is, this is actually sickly, this isn't a good diet. And we need to put it away sometimes. And then we go back to those who've said things to us that we didn't want to hear and we put it away because it was bitter. And people have sometimes said things to me, including people in my family, 
said things to me that I don't want to know, I don't want to hear, that, that can't be right, that can't be right. And then maybe months later, <laughs> when my soul is sick with honey, too much buttering up, too much flattery, I realise, actually, I've, I've not made any progress. I need to go back and just ask again. Was that thing that you said to me, maybe that's true. Can we talk about that? Can we pray about that? That's when we need to be communities that love one another. Because everything I've been saying so far in the last 10 minutes has been about speaking the truth. And I can receive that from people that I know who love me. In the end, friends, it's down to Jesus, who's the head of the church, the head of the body. It's, it's Jesus that we need to trust. I'm struck when I was thinking about this this week. One of the things that Jesus had to say, most, most painful thing Jesus had to say to someone once, a young man who was very rich, very powerful, who probably had a lot of people flattering him, a lot of power. Jesus said to him, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and follow me. Hardest thing he had to say, hardest thing this man ever heard. But the bit we rush past is just before he says it, Jesus, it says about Jesus, he looked at him and loved him. He looked at him and loved him. Friends, if Jesus loves us, we can trust him to tell us the truth. And we need to learn his ways. If you're called to tell people the truth, be sure you love them. Be sure that they know you love them. Look for ways to show it. Something about Jesus made the gospel writers say it. He looked at him and loved him. There must have been something in the way he spoke, the, the way he looked at him. God help us to learn the ways of Jesus, yeah? To look at one another lovingly and then speak truth. To find ways to show it and then speak truth because Jesus is the one who loves us so much that we're able to receive his truth, even when at first it's uncomfortable. Let's just pray. Father, thank you for your son, full of grace and truth. Help us, we pray, to learn his ways, to learn to be genuine, authentic people. And I pray that as we even get into live brunch later and look at some of the practicalities of this, help us as a church to be skillful in these things as well. In Jesus' name, amen.